podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Here today, gone. Today? The pace of change can be confusing. Then again, it can be inspiring. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you build the self-confidence and decision-making skills it takes to thrive on change. Fight change with change. Go. Start by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go. Kian Sobani in a very uh, weird and strange situation where I'm not totally coming to grips with it yet. I'm hosting and Gabe Lestra is joining me. Feels weird to say that because I'm so used to doing it the other way around. But Gabe Lestra is here. Can you explain, Gabe, why it's like this for this week? Yes. Yes, I can. I can explain exactly what's happening. I am at the terminal at BWI Airport um, because... That is just sort of what my life is right now. Um, and I wanted to do the show. I watched the game yesterday. I have a lot to say, and I wanted to answer your questions uh, just be involved. But that is the, that explains the uh, very obvious ambient like audio quality issues that you're having in the background. I'm literally walking through BWI on a cell phone, and we're still recording a podcast. That's commitment, folks. Yeah. It's a good thing, actually. And yeah. do not get angry at me. It's not my fault. Um, is, these moments really <laughs> test our commitment levels. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So if Gabe's uh, but, uh, ambient noises changes uh, kind of throughout this flo- this podcast and it fluctuates, please bear with us. Hopefully it'll be okay. Please. Yeah. Um, so, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't imagine it's going to be too bad, especially because we're about to get in a in a cab. It's not going to be as bad as that one time where Alms fire alarm went off. In his I forgot about that. <laughs> or some of those real old school Josh podcasts where he was literally walking around New York City with a, uh, with a cell phone on next to his head. Yeah. Uh, and we would just hear people cursing at each other in the background because that's sort of a New York City thing. <laughs> um, so we're, do you already talk about Real Madrid and Leganes where Real Madrid um, rolled out a very much... I don't want. I don't know if I, I could. I could say it's a B team because there were A team members scattered throughout, and who, right. who knows what is an A team and B team these days. But what we do know is that we saw a lot of fringe players in Dani Ceballos, Marcos Llorente, Ashraf, yep. Teo, um, Borja Mayoral, and uh, and Kiko Casilla, among others. If I missed any, but uh, so while this game didn't really mean a whole lot in the standings, and Zidane will tell you otherwise because he wants to chase second place, which is which is not a bad aim at all. Uh, we we also had a chance to see p- younger players and see their development process. And my feeling, Gabe, is that it's nice to see these games. It's not always a, the perfect measuring stick because these players somewhat come in cold. They're a bit unfamiliar, but they're still trying to get used to it. But I will say, I thought this was the most comfortable a lot of them have looked. Um, yeah. And I, I was I was overall, I think I was mostly encouraged more than I was discouraged. 
I totally agree with that. I mean, one of the, I mean, let's be clear, Keon, we've been asking or calling for this exact thing to happen the Liga was basically lost, right? This is yeah. exactly, I'm not sure it's exactly the lineup, but like this is basically what we've been wanting this whole time. So, you know, Zidane should be running out all of the players that we see as prospects, right? Not the established, you know, veterans. Why? What's the point of playing Leganes in the Bernabeu, like, and not, you know, and starting like, you know, Ronaldo and, and the people that he, he actually needs to keep fresh for the actual important matches, like, no, roll out the roll out the prospects, start giving them some real first minutes. It's not even so much about getting a look at how they play in the team right now. It's literally just get them familiarized with all this stuff. Begin to see and, and use it, you know, grade them on a developmental curve. Where can they improve? Like, where are they looking better? A lot of people, in, in my mentions at least, were coming at me because I've been basically using a developmental curve for tail this entire time. I'm saying things like, I think he has physicality. I think he has the technique will come. I think that he has an immense potential to be a very long-term answer at that position for Real Madrid. Uh, and I, I still think that even when he, ha- he doesn't have great games, uh, and that's, I think, the way that we should be approaching all of these players playing in, in matches like this. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, that people may have overreacted with in the Copa games earlier this season was that uh, we saw promising players like Llorente and Ceballos and and, uh, and a few others actually slide into the game. And they hadn't played all season. And then you kind of throw in this mishmash of players who have never really played with each other um, on, on this kind of in this kind of role right. in with they, they were, there was a clear lack of familiarity between Kovacic, Ceballos and Llorente in the Copa earlier this season uh, and all individually great players and then kind of and so we didn't really the people who use that as their measuring stick of how these players their careers will pan out were they are extremely uh, reactionary and fail to zoom out and look at the context and, and everything and I think and while I feel the same way about this game, I thought it looked better from, from a lot of those players. Now, Leganes was probably the better team in the second half, especially towards the end where they yeah. really had a bunch of chances they couldn't take. Uh, and Ashraf had a ridiculous switch off defensively um, for, the, for the goal conceded. And I think, uh, but I think what I enjoyed, Gabe, was if we're getting into details, I thought Danny Ceballos... I liked how involved he was. And when you look at the games with Betis or the Spanish under-21 team, his game is literally they feed him. And he just has the most touches out of everyone. He's a constant guy trying to create. And I like that he was so involved in this game. And him and Kovacic both um, had some nice sequences coming out of the back. Kovacic was really good in this game. Uh, we're not surprised. I was surprised that he played as the anchor and Llorente didn't. I think we'll get to that. I liked how Llorente looked vertically almost every time he had the ball, which was a big criticism of him at Alaves. So I think it's the context here is when you have a better team, better off-ball movement, better outlets, you're just going to be able to hit those vertical passes better rather than just kind of turning around and recycling possession. So those were right. there were some encouraging things there. I, I totally agree. I was specifically looking at the, the two players you talked about, actually. Those were the two players I was most interested in watching in terms of, like I said, the developmental curve and how, you know, we obviously should be giving them more, right, more run, more time on the pitch. And, you know, taking, trying to figure out where the positives are, you know, what, what lessons we can learn from them. And Danny Ceballos, 
was the team's motor. He was the team's engine. And that was great to see because that is the Dani Ceballos that we wanted to see finally at Real Madrid. And the few times he had played in the system before, um, he basically had been, uh, you know, hadn't, hadn't quite had that much level of, of control of the match. Or at least the, the maybe the and maybe the match like literally wasn't designed to do that for him. But today or against Leganes it was, and that was a huge takeaway for me. That looked really good, and I thought he looked really happy and comfortable playing with, you know, the group that was on the pitch. Like so, like you know, allowing Bale right that flexibility to be that winger and defender on the left, uh, and and working and, and combining with him and with Benzema in the middle. I mean, it was it was it was a power performance. I thought from Silvajos. Um, yeah, and I think if there was any criticisms of Ceballos, like I saw some people complain that he held on to the ball too long and stuff, and stuff. Like that's, you're gonna have to live and die with that. I think with Ceballos, he's yeah, uh, he had a couple moments where he maybe could have done better with the shots and 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 test the keeper a bit more, but he got himself into a position to score and didn't really take it clinically. Although they weren't, they also weren't clear cut chances. I think. Um, the, I, the thing that with Ceballos, if he holds on to the ball a bit too long, it's one of those things I think you're going to have to live and die with him about. And I, Because with Ceballos, is a type of guy, just like Isco, where you just trust him um, in certain scenarios because he will see, and we've seen examples of this like throughout his, his Betis and Spanish under-21 career, he sees passes that no one else will see. And we saw moments of that in this game where he slips in a through ball and um, or just waits a bit longer than, than usual, just a second the defenders and, and kind of get them to collapse a bit. And I think that's fine with me. And I think that part of his game will probably even get more polished as, yeah. as he progresses. I'm not worried about it. I think I think he was generally good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think in, in particular, like that type of, uh, uh, that being you know, one of his primary assets, like that's his bread and butter. And that's actually good bread and good butter. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's not like he, his bread and butter is like, you know, like a certain type of physical role that, that like doesn't, you know, require or do, doesn't, you know, evince any like, you know, talent or vision. And what he has and what we're seeing and what we can see from this is, uh, you know, is that he does actually have, possess a level of vision that I think we can, we can kind of confidently project, right? And, like, that's what we're looking for, again, with, with prospects, with the younger players. I know that, like, a lot of these players, people kind of thought them, that they were going to come in and immediately contribute. But the truth is, even Lucas Vazquez didn't immediately contribute to this Real Madrid team. And, you know, even Asensio, like, he took it a while to really, really break into a position where he is even now. And so we need to be, we need to be comfortable with these guys. And I'm just hopeful that everyone is taking the same tack that I am with them and, and realizing what it means to, to call someone like a, a developmental prospect and, and what, what, you know, when you watch a game like the one against Leganes, which basically was meaningless, like where you, you know, what are you looking at and where are you trying to take meaning, right? And I thought, for example, that even though Bale's not a prospect, for example, the fact that Bale came out and played so well and I thought had just absolute managed the match performance in the first 45, showing that he can both you know, put those goals away and defend really cogently. I mean, that's great news, <laughs> and it's great. And and he's made a loud case for, hey, maybe maybe you should include me in these bigger matches as, you know, a two-way winger, which is my position anyway. Yeah, 
I mean, let's be clear. Almost no one just comes into Real Madrid and blows us away right away. And if they do, and if there's examples like that, like whether it's Robinho or Isco who started his career on fire, things will regress to the mean for better or worse. So over the course of a few years, literally, or at least a year, then we'll have the proper sample size to, to measure these things. And I think... Uh, if we had, if our leash had been short with Ramos or Marcelo, I think they would have been long gone because. Totally agree with that. Yeah, we. We've, I mean, we've Marcelo, just, yeah. Marcelo was an unbelievably, unbelievably raw prospect, as was Iwain when he came into the team, yeah. and then by by two years later, even they were both fixture starters um, for quite good teams, and they were still developing. Right, that's what high-end prospect talent like those two guys were when they came to Madrid. Like, let's straight up. Higuain came to Madrid at 20 years old from River Plate, and Marcelo at, what, 19 from Fluminense, where he barely played? These guys were straight prospects, but Madrid had patience with them and developed them the way you're supposed to develop prospects. And I'm just very hopeful that they take the same tact with dealing with some of these other guys. I know we're going to talk about Mayuraz, because I know we have a question about him. And he he is, I think... is going to be a case. It's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how they go, how they deal with him. Um, but I'm I'm more focused on people who I think really do have ab- absolute, could be absolutely elite at their positions and and do very special things. And I see a lot of that in Tavares, and, and still I see a lot of it in Llorente. Yeah, I mean Iguain, his first few months to a year was everyone was complaining that he just couldn't finish and he'll never be a striker and. Uh, and then, and then, and then that he narrative wasn't good. Why would you buy this kid? That, yeah. that was part of that. That narrative like changed eventually. Obviously, that he just he just couldn't stop missing. Even like he had some really clinical years for Real Madrid. I agree on Bale. I I don't, I, I thought. Um, I mean, are we surprised? How are we really surprised when Bale plays a bit deeper that he just he's so much more involved this way? And I think he did so much good work defensively. And uh, he worked really hard, which everyone complains about. He's, you know, he's lazy or whatever, or he doesn't care, which is the completely debunkable uh, myth and narrative with him. I think he, I, I just like how involved he was in this game. He probably could have scored more more goals, but it, it didn't really matter. He uh, he was involved offensively and, uh, and just looked good on, on the flank. And uh, there's probably questions. I think there's questions about him, whether he'll start in Munich or not, based on this or whatever. So we'll get into it. But do you have any other notes on this match before we jump into questions, Gabe? Um, not really. I, I, I do want to just... I think I already managed to flag my my same... I just want to you know, re-underline and maybe circle and highlight this. What are developmental characteristics? What what does it mean to watch a player and not have immediacy on your mind? Like what what are you looking for? And that's it's crucial to see what like the kind of skills, how they've made improvement, what their training has brought them. Like how are they how are they developing the skills and the vision and the feel for the game? Right. That's to me the most important, arguably the most important thing that you can do. Uh, as, as an analyst, right, as a, and as as a serious fan looking at a looking at a team full of actual prospects, right, this, you know, and and so just just by that token, I wanted to underline things that again, I stand with with Teo. I see a lot of a lot of good things in his future. I do not think that he is a world class left back right now. I don't even think that he's 
I mean, I think that he's maybe a replacement level left back, but I think that I, I think that he is incredibly young and he has every tool to succeed and become a world class left back. I see some of that in Ashraf. I do not see the whole package like I see with Teo. That being said, I do think that Ashraf maybe has developed or fine touch over his period and and time with Real Madrid in their development system. So that's 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 kind of where I stand on those two young players. And it was great to see them both on the pitch um, because this is the kind of game where you want to play them both. Fair fair play, go for it. I mean, um, but that's all my notes. I, with Ashraf, I think it's because of his ridiculous mistake on that goal uh, where Brasenac snuck through. A lot of people will stand on this performance, and I think in, in a way, rightfully so, because when you look at that sequence, and I've looked at it over and over again, um, there's almost no excuse. Like because at first, the first at first glance, you're like, "Who's there at the back post? How did that ball get through all of Casemiro, Vallejo, and all of them?" And they were just looking at each other. Atraf has so much time to get in behind Brasenac and and track that run. And he's looking at the play, and I feel like it's just it was a brain fart, and I can't explain anything else other than that because he was there. He just he was looking at it. I don't know what he was thinking, and I think so. A lot of that, the criticism for his performance will be on that one play, and uh, I'm not saying it's fair or unfair, but it, it probably is fair uh, in a way because uh, it was a big yeah, moment. Sure, and and what. What, 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 what do we do? What do we do when we have young players, prospect players, make mistakes or not perform well? Well, we hope that the next time they come out, they play better and they learn, and we see them directly learn from the mistakes that they've made. And hopefully, when Ashraf gets his next run, which should be happen, should happen relatively soon, uh, he will show us that the right back's job on a play like that is to be tracking that far post run and making sure any ball that's getting through the area you're in front of it and you know his basically a brain fart on that play allowed another team to score against Real Madrid and it and it directly uh, impacts Mars, uh, uh, Ashraf's should directly impact our analysis of his game because like you can take your other positives away from it but you also have to take the negatives and that is a huge, huge negative I mean this is a player that let's be clear Generally, our complaints with him have been mostly offensive and defensive. Because as you've noted, um, and as I've written about in several columns, about his defensive IQ is actually much better than we thought it was. Um, And in moments where he makes mistakes, his pace can actually make up for his, his, his mistakes. And that's, I think, the scary thing about him, is that if he figures out how to be consistent and, and just work on his confidence coupled with his pace to mask some of his issues he can actually be really good and I think in, in this game in, in previous games defensively if he got out of position he would just run back in record time and, and get to his spot uh, just from his pace alone in this game he had a few instances where he had a heavy touch or a heavy pass or a, a pass that he had no business getting to and he recovers for it with it you know from it because of his pace um and most of our complaints about him have been offensively his crossing and he just can't find the confidence to beat his man. I thought in this game he did okay in that department. He had six completed dribbles, by the way, was a contributor offensively. Um, so I thought on that, in that aspect, he was he was much better than previous games. And, and it's an aspect that he's clearly been working on. Again, we need to progress, and that is a good area of progress. And 
hopefully we don't have a you know, a concurrent you know, regress defensively, but that that seems to be what happened on the goal. That being said, I I generally thought he he played a pretty good game. Um, I actually liked him. I just that is the goal is absolutely you know I don't want to say unforgivable because there is nothing unforgivable with prospects, but that goal is the type of mistake that does get you benched. Right, like if you're if you're you know someone who's on a kind of a fringy world t- level elite player on a team like Real Madrid, you make a mistake like that in an important game. It's the kind of thing that makes people talk about whether you should either be starting or 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 playing, and it might get you sit down for a little while. Um, a couple Leganes things because I I, f- I feel I feel like they deserve to be talked about in a bit. Um, it's not the first time for obvious reason that they've played us really tight. And it's true that this was not our full-strength lineup, neither was it in the Copa, but that's not to belittle Leganes at all because actually their best periods of this game are actually when Kroos and Asensio came on, uh, which was the, the last frame of the match, the yeah, last exactly. like quarter of an hour, 20, 25 minutes, where um, their expected goal shot up through the roof. They had plenty of chances, and I think Garitano played a really good scheme. Um to give credit for them, Brasenak on his goal, it wasn't just about Ashraf switching off. He may have gotten there regardless, or he may not have, I don't know. But he also was good offensively overall. Um, I thought uh, Zaldua had a lot of uh, great moments offensively from from the right. Uh, Gabriel did well in the middle. And I think um, they were good. And I think, I guess, if it wasn't for certain, you know, like... Misses from Guerrero or, uh, I don't know, I guess either whether it's misfortune or lack of uh, being clinical, I thought they may have gotten a result. But, you know, I thought they deserve a shout out in this game. Totally agree. They were, they were, I mean, they're they're an underrated team that can play anyone tough. Yeah. Let's jump into questions. So, as you all know, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you can go to get, uh, guaranteed responses to your questions if you pledge a certain amount uh, and you also get access to all of our shows uh, including the patron ones midweek which our Champions League recordings are typically done this week we'll do Wednesday we'll do one for our patrons about the Bayern game hopefully it'll be a very happy and joyful podcast but you never know Uh, and if you want access to that among many other things patreon.com slash managing Madrid oh by the way it's April 29th starting May 1st if you don't get in before May 1st, it gets bumped up to $3 minimum. If you're already in, you're grandfathered and it's fine. Um, but you can actually get in for a dollar minimum right now. It jumps up to $3 May 1st, so you have one or two days, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. First patron podcast, Gabe. Uh, patron question. Yeah. Patron question. Christopher McCormick says, According to quotes from the Spanish media, Mayoral is leaving at the end of the season. I hope it will be alone, but I doubt it. He has scored eight goals from less than 500 minutes of game time this season, which I think is quite impressive, especially considering the Wolfsburg debacle. What do you think his ceiling is? That's a great question. I think, Ken, you might be more equipped to answer what his ceiling is because I think you've seen more of him on the international level. I personally have... So I have never been the conductor of the Mayoral train. I think that's the best way to put it. Like I'm yeah. I'm I'm I think I'm on the train, but I'm not I I don't feel it with him as much as I I do with some of the other 
prospects on on this side that I think are really elite. Um, I don't, for example, I don't, I don't see him having a ceiling nearly as high as Devayos uh, or Llorente even on Vallejo. Not let's not even talk about it. But like, yeah. uh, I do see him. I mean, look, he. I see him as being a solid nine for a mid-table to upper-table Spanish team. I just don't see him as being a. Um, a consistent Real Madrid level starter anywhere. Um, I may be wrong, but that is just my my scouting. And I just feel like because he doesn't seem to like, I think the one area where I think he has displayed the elite characteristics that I, I'd like to see is in his ability to, you know, to, to conduct himself off the ball, find himself good spaces have a nose for goal all of those things i thought i think could be developed into world-class talents the problem is that i think that there are other issues with this game that maybe don't create like don't i haven't i haven't been sold on them yet as a as a future like real madrid um starter or however you even frame it like that um regarding his ceiling i I, I, I'm with you that I, I don't think he's... He's certainly not on the level of a Llorente, Ceballos, Vallejo, like, uh, ceiling. I know they're different positions, but we can kind of tell also that just... Um, the talent level and where they are, I think he's further behind. I think if you, if you talk about a ceiling, you almost... You have to choose to ignore the last season or two because he just didn't play enough. If you're to go based on his Castilla record, which was very good, um, and he, at that time, when both he and Mariano graduated from Castilla, he, Mayra was the more promising of the two. Mariano was the brute force, like target man, finisher, lethal, a bit older than Mayra. Um, but Mayra, although having less goals than Mariano, was more of the, I guess, like talented player who can deep, who can play deep, who can string things offensively. And there's another question coming up from a patron uh, about his isolation in this game, which we'll get to. It's hard, even if we go back just based on his Castilla form, it's, history tells us that even the best Castilla strikers only get so far, and I'm hesitant to kind of base it on that, but if we were to look at some of the other players, whether it's Soldado or Negredo, uh, Port- Portillo, um, they just, I guess Morata would have been the best of them all. And um, we kind of know how that's working out for everyone right now. And I think, so based on that, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he turns into a starting striker for a Villarreal, for, uh, for that kind of tier uh, of, of La Liga team. I'm not sure if he's his ceiling is higher than that yeah. at the moment. Yeah. That's basically where I project him. And I think that the top end... So, look, you always give a range of options when you're talking about prospects. I think he profiles to me as, like, a starter at a mid-to-high-level Spanish team or a mid-to-high-level EPL team. Like, I think he could I think he could do a soldado and maybe go, go across the pond and, or maybe go back to Germany or, or do what Mariano has done and, and actually become a quite a bit of starring player at a... At a High level French team, right? Like they, uh, Mariano's obviously an OL, um, but I just, I think the highest possible, in the, you know, the highest comp that we can do for him, right, is sort of, you know, given the the, the quality, I, I I could see him maybe eventually developing into a my uh, um, 
uh, uh, into a Morata, but I just, I don't, I, Morata had some other physical intangibles that my dog simply doesn't have, plus the ability to kind of move in and out of positions in the attacking band. And while Mayadal has some of that, and Mayadal is probably better than Murata at like going deeper and trying to find runs and trying to find um you know you know, try to find play from, from deep, I I don't think that makes up for the lack that he has compared to Murata in, in some of the other things. He kind of intangibles that Morata brought to the pitch um, his time at Juve and his time at Madrid and I mean obviously that's quite panned out at Chelsea but um, yeah I think that Morata is like the high end, highest highest possible end of where Borjita uh, uh, could be but I think on the low end I think he's a he's a player that I feel pretty comfortable projecting as a starter in, in a mid-table La Liga side I think that's the low end of where he goes and there's a number of things in between, you know, Morata and, and whoever the hell's the striker for, um, like you said, Villarreal right now. Yeah, I mean, if he if he turns into a Morata, I think that would be wildly successful for him. Yeah, yeah. that's that's that. I agree. That's but he I'm also hasn't been bad this season, right? So like, it's, he's limited playing time, limited sample size. He he pops up and scores. Even when he's not involved in the game, which is a good sign, meaning that he yep. can still be clinical if not too involved in the game. Um, he's been scoring pretty well lately for the under twenty one team. If he wasn't that you know that sharp in the summertime, but he's been good in the qualifiers of late. He scored. He had had a hat trick and he scored a couple ga- goals in the next game or something. So he's got something. I think. Yep. I don't know what it is. Definitely. Yet, but, yeah. Um, there's another Borja question coming up here, which I'll, I'll, I'll take. It's from Leon Stavronakis, another patron. He says, a serious question about Borja. I know he is very young and did not get the minute he needs to develop this year. Still, many times when he plays, even the games where he is able to make an impact, he seems to go along stretches where he's nearly invisible with few touches and little involvement. I'm guessing this is due to a need to develop better ideas of how to read the game, to be involved in the build-up, and to make anticipatory runs into space so he can receive service. Am I correct, or is it a talent issue or something else entirely? Um, so, well, I I think that's a good question, but I I would I would I'd be hesitant to to assign to one factor. Uh, to be quite frank, I don't. I think it's a tactics thing. I think it it also is a his own own thing. I I, I mean, there's a lot of different things there. If you if you look at his, this particular game, he was he had the he had a crazy low amount of touches. Um, and I, in a way, that's fine because center forwards are never going to be uh, heavy influencers of the game in terms of build up, and you know they'll be involved and they'll link up play and. They should they should be asked to score and whatever, um, which he did in this game. I think, but he was very disconnected from the team, and it's not like he played too high up the pitch. I think he you know he he dropped deep quite a bit without the ball. I think maybe because Benzema was also in this game, so two in a, in a more traditional four four two, where Benzema was slightly more involved than Borja was, um, making Borja even more disconnected. Um, so I think that probably didn't help his case. So from a schematic point of view, he's never going to be the one who's going to touch the ball much in this game. But he also didn't... This game was mostly funneled through Ceballos, Kovacic, Llorente, and then and Bale, basically. Uh, with Benzema dropping deep to, to link up play a little bit, but not even he didn't do 
too much offensively. So I think actually him and Borja both were kind of isolated in a way. Um, so I, I don't know. It's hard to say how you can rectify this because he actually did drop deep quite a bit. He just didn't get many touches of the ball. But this is kind of going to differ game to game. And I think yeah. this game is similar to Benzema's. Like he's more of a, a shadow forward than he is a striker. So I think that probably will affect affect his game even more, being paired alongside with Benzema. 100% agreed yeah. with that. Um, I would also I would also note that, again, like one, one game with Borja is still a prospect also. So taking the good and the bad, it's good to see that he has an eye for goal, right? That that actually is something that he has developed. And, and, and Christopher, you were right to point out, right, that, that one of the crucial things about, about Borja is that he's, he's got actually crazy, quite a good goal to minute ratio. Yeah. Despite the, all, we all know the prompt, the, the actual theoretical problem with using that to that statistic it's obviously predictive blah 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 and, and but what regardless it means it does mean that he has been clinical which is great and um that is not it's a tough skill to, to teach um and it's the kind of thing that can abandon you at times as we've seen with Benzema. <laughs> yeah. um but i think there is positive to take uh out of this match i just um yeah and and i think but but i think trying to assign blame on the isolation factor in one specific match out of various is uh, it's a different thing, and I think Ken, you're right to say that like pairing him with Benzema is a recipe for him being isolated. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Racha Pudi, another patron, says, "Winning the Champions League or winning La Liga, which one gives you more satisfaction, uh, and which is Champions more?" Champions League. Yeah, <laughs> it's Sorry. pretty pretty easy. Yes, here. Uh, <laughs> Racha Puri also says, which is more tough to win? I feel that winning La Liga is tough, at least after seeing our big boys making mockery of the Champions League for the past five years, uh, which has made me feel this way. What's your opinion on this? Experts, I don't know about the experts part, but we'll try our best to, to make sense of the question. Um, it, there is an interesting argument to me on which is tougher to win. I think if, if what Barcelona have proved over the past few years is that there requires a, a very interesting... Uh, level of consistency, game in, game out, even if you're not playing well, to to get the job done, which which Real Madrid have have lacked. You know, let's let's be frank here. Like, there's definitely been games where the body language is off. The there's a bit of lethargy or complacency. Having said that, Gabe, statistically, in 2018 alone, in the calendar year, Real Madrid actually have the best record on La Liga. La Liga, uh, and I think it was Dermot Corrigan who tweeted this that it's it's even higher. Higher point uh, per game than Betis or Barca, who have also been very consistent in this year. Um, so why we couldn't extend that to the beginning of the season? Well, that's an entire podcast on its own, which we've actually dedicated in the past to all the problems that we've had. Um, so I don't know. Is could you argue, Gabe, that it's tougher to win La Liga, or yeah, yeah, how you, would you, you how would you word this? You can argue that. Yeah. I think that. People do all the time, especially coaches like Pep, who have not won the Champions League in a long time. Right? They they make that argument constantly. It's winning season long leagues and winning knockout tournaments are different beasts. Uh, and it's cool. One of the coolest things about this sport is that we have both. <laughs> so that the the season long league really does tell you which team was the best over the course of the season. But a knockout tournament is more exciting. 
uh, and it is harder to win because simply spe- simply speaking, there is actually more luck involved in a knockout tournament. And the way certain balls bounce and whether they hit the post or don't hit the post in certain games can lead directly to your elimination. That's very much less likely to happen in a season-long league. But you know what? You also have to be a team that's good enough to overcome that type of luck or at least to be able to put yourself in situations where you can get that type of luck and get that type of luck continuously. The idea that Madrid would even be in the consideration for three-peating in this knockout t- tournament is an insane thing simply because of how hard it is to have all of the right things go your way three years in a row in a knockout tournament. That's why we, we see so few repeats in American sports because we all do knockout tournaments. Yeah. That's why we see so few... Uh, and we immediately start calling someone a, a team a dynasty if they've won two in a row, um, or even two out of three, right? Um, and uh, that's—I mean—it's—it's it's all about like figuring out how to be like consistent in a world that has a quite a bit higher variation due to luck. That is very hard too. Now, I think it, that does not take away from the fact that how how impossibly hard it is to win a season-long league. It is incredibly grueling. It is brutal. Um, and back in the day in, in, in the United States, we used to have essentially what were essentially season-long leagues in baseball, right, where it would be simply the team with the best record in one league would win the American League pennant, and the team with the best record in the other league would win the National League pennant, and they would play in the World Series. But those pennants were actually huge deals, and teams played all year for them. So it is very hard, <laughs> and and it, it, I don't think either of them should be discounted. No. Um, as a Real Madrid fan, I'd rather win the Champions League every year, though. Me too. I every, Even if we had won the Champions League nine years in a row and everyone's like, well, we should have a league title, no. I, I, for the 10th one, I want the Champions League again. And I think uh, while it's really difficult to win the La Liga, or any league for that matter, because it requires consistency game in, game out, um, the margin of error is a bit higher because if you drop points, you can recover. Whereas a knockout, it's that's really right. you. You better show up, and I think, I think that's what's really impressive. It's not. It's not just once we've done this. Um, you know, we can talk about the twelve Champions League titles and the kind of how they were spread out over the course of the of of European history. But let's let's ignore all of it and just take in the last four years. The fact that we won it once and then twice in three years, and then and then won it back to back—that is definitely. There's no question that's insanely difficult. Um, so it's it's beyond beyond just showing up and having some luck and a knockout stage. It's like damn, that kind of consistency to me is even more impressive than going into a league campaign and being consistent game in game out, because you're going consistent year to year with the same core group of players. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally that, agree with that. Yeah, that is that is a crazy feat and still um, insanely impressive and historic. Uh, Look, winning. Madrid isn't even in the final or whatever. But like putting all that aside and knocking on every piece of wood in this entire city, I <laughs> I would say that if Madrid manages to repeat again this year in Champions League conversation, I think we still have to be immediately have to begin having the conversation of whether this is the best team of all time and like that's that's how important and amazing this accomplishment is that would be you know what i'm saying like this that and i don't know if you could say that if you have a back-to-back-to-back liga champion or a back-to-back-to-back premier league champion like i don't don't think so but if you have a back-to-back-to-back 
um, four out of uh, four out of five years, right? Real Madrid winning the Champions League. That's that's um that that brings your 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 team in a historical sense into an entirely different conversation. I think. Um, even if Real Madrid don't make the final, just to to counter to counteract the this jinxing effect of we're, we're getting ahead of oh, ourselves. Oh yeah, yeah, extremely good. Yeah, um, eight straight semifinal appearances. That's never happened in the his club's club's history. Um, that is an insane feat of consistency as well. So um, let's not forget that the fact that we're in our eighth straight season enjoying the semifinals is, is a massive, massive feat. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Manas Mishra says, I like Benzema. The only issue I have with him is that he does not take enough shots, let alone on target. When do you think this trend has started or his... This due to a switch in Madrid's formation, which hinders his chances to just take a shot. Um, Is this, this true statistically? Yeah, just to make just double checking. Depends on what your perception of a lot of shots is, because he takes the most shots per game. Uh, sorry, the third most shots per game on the team. Okay, so, so it's not. I I would argue it's it's not true. <laughs> not true. Um, okay. He takes two shots per game, which is. Uh, less than Bale and less than Ronaldo, and then most of anyone else. And I, but I guess, and uh, even before looking up the stat, I, I was skeptical that would be true because I remember so many shots from Benzema generally that just don't go in. And because also one, because we see it, and two, because we have to answer for it on the podcast all the time. Why doesn't he score? So, um, I so I I don't know if there's anything else to add to it really. No, I have nothing to add to this. If you're interested in a big, um, you know, Twitter fight, you can go and read the Twitter fight that Ohm, uh, I that I had involved that involved me, Ohm, um, Nando Villa, who's awesome um, journalist who's, who doesn't cover sports exactly, but who um, regular big Real Madrid fan. Um, but uh, him and um, I think two other people who are involved in discussing Benzema and and Firmino. Uh, and uh, I would very much encourage you all to go check that out because he that was a fascinating discussion. Um, uh, yeah, I, if you want, if you want, <laughs> I um, I will say this, just just digging a little bit deeper into it now. Um, out of his entire La Liga career, even though right now he has the third most shots on the team, this is the least amount of shots he has per game of his entire Real Madrid La Liga career. So, so maybe it's a trend. Yeah, maybe it's a it's a trend where he just uh, he's definitely less clinical, but maybe he's his his just kind of evolved into something that uh, just is not his. He's not a goal scorer right. anymore, and uh, that's probably well, not a good thing. But, no, but I, yeah. I want to add also though, Keon, that I when we were having this Twitter fight, like and, and or you know discussion, um, the guy who was you know, anti Benzema. It was like me now doing home um, <laughs> fighting with this guy. Uh, basically, said Benzema can't score. It was not. It was basically a <laughs> Benzema can't score goal guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but what I did was I looked up the goal per game ratio that Benzema has, which is about 0.47, which is a pretty solid ratio. 
um, as as a Real Madrid player. And then I also looked up Kian Raul's goal per game ratio, which was about four point four two. So, and that this isn't to imply that Benzema is better than Raul or whatever, but it's to try to put some historical context onto, you know, his goal scoring, his yeah. ability, and all that. And Raul's um, goal ratio basically dropped off a lot basically after his first few really good years and then yeah, un- unfortunately i mean he just dropped off and that was it as gabe is paying for his cab i assume I'll, I'll just carry the podcast a bit if if you don't mind i i i think the do we have any more questions we have we have three or four more questions if you want if you have to bounce i can i can take the rest Wow. I think that might be. I think that might be for the best, unless anyone's calling me out specifically in our questions. Which... Um, I don't think so. If if I see anything <laughs> that hap- that is of that nature, I will uh, I'll call you back the... or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Sounds good, buddy. All right, it was great to talk to you all. I'm glad we got to we got to chat. Apologies for the ambient audio <laughs> on my end, but thanks for thanks for having me on, Kian. Alamadi. Thanks, Gabe. Bye. Okay, uh, I guess I guess this just takes us into a surprising part two where I wasn't expected to do this alone, but I'm um, I'm here on my own now. Gabe did his part. Thank you, Gabe, for your service. So, uh, Aditya, there's the rest of these questions. By the way, are all about Bayern. Uh, Aditya has a long, long paragraph. I just want to summarize. Basically, um, calling out Zidane for the tactics in Munich and. Um, Feeling this was offensively one of the weaker teams we could have put out with Ronaldo being isolated, uh, Lucas Vasquez being the only proper winger until I guess Asensio came in, and then um, uh, Isco not being great on the counter, etc. We know we we know after the fact that Isco was injured, came off at halftime for Asensio because he was injured. Maybe so there was definitely a tactical shift. I don't know if the tactics were the reasoning behind Zidane's switch or, or if it was mostly because Isco just couldn't continue. Um, you're not you're not off base, Aditya, and I think I I wrote a column which I hope you've all read by now on Managing Madrid, basically outlining some of the details. I typically do this after every big game, and one of the things that stood out to me in this game was uh, among among a few other things was Modric doing a lot of great work in this game, both defensively off the ball, intercepting passes, uh, but also some of the offensive work he did. And I felt like he also didn't have enough touches. Like him and Kroos both, I think Zidane would have wanted them to be on the ball a bit more. Part of that was just because Real Madrid as a whole just didn't have the ball. And I think Heinkes will be driving his hair out because his game plan wasn't bad. Uh, and they, they, had, they could have scored two or three goals in this game. Let's be clear. Now, you can... It depends on what your interpretation of luck is. Is your... Would you say it's Real, it's lucky that Real Madrid didn't concede those goals, or would you say that it's not luck that Kaylor saved those those shots in the second half, that Ramos and Varane both were brilliant in intervening last minute and saving Real Madrid? Um, it really depends on your interpretation of what luck is, and I think. But what you have to admit is that Real Madrid just didn't curate enough offensively, and why Hankes will be tearing his hair out is because Real Madrid were insanely efficient and lethal in two moments where Bayern just couldn't be efficient at all over the course of 90 minutes, basically. And I think, um, call it Zidane's black magic or call it what you want, but he he played a very efficient scheme where Real Madrid defended 
some moments better than others, had really important defensive interventions, uh, had a freak defensive collapse on Bayern's first goal, Kaylor, Casemiro, and Kroos, only the, the culprits, and the dominoes of Ramos and Marcelo pushing out the pitch without proper coverage, and miscommunication between uh, Kroos and Casemiro. And uh, and that was essentially the, the theme of the game, was Bayern, plenty of possession, Real Madrid not being able to control the tempo as they normally are able to. And credit for Bayern for doing that. I thought James played a great game from deep in creating, but also Javi Martinez and co. And, and the pressing from, from Bayern's attackers was very good generally. And Real Madrid had trouble basically coping with the fact that Bayern would press the full backs and cut off the supply to the central midfielders. And there were times in the first half in particular, I thought Real Madrid did well to get out of it, but other times where they just couldn't tread water with it. And I think Bayern did well. They just essentially, the theme was that plus the lack of efficiency from Bayern and the crazy lethal efficiency from Real Madrid. So I'm with you, Aditya, and that there's a lot of questions, question marks that Real Madrid and Zidane will have to rectify um, for the second leg. Ian Marley says, what are your thoughts on Bale's situation? Uh, with the way Bale is being handled in the case that we are to sell him in the summer, wouldn't it have made more sense to at least give him more meaningful minutes in the Champions League so that we can at least raise his price? Having him on the bench not only costs us wages, but might risk having him sold for less than his worth considering how player prices have been skyrocketing. Case in point, the deal for James. I don't think the wages Bayern paid during his loan and the transfer fee will recover his initial deal to bring him to Real Madrid unless I'm mistaken. Uh, yeah, we discussed this a bit in uh, the post-game show, Matt and I, last week, that my feeling was that the plan definitely isn't to push Bale out with these this this uh, by restricting his minutes. If that were the case, um, we'd be plummeting his his value on the market by not playing him. I don't. I genuinely think that that's not the case, and I feel that Zidane genuinely just doesn't see Bale providing more than Asensio and Lucas right now or Isco. And um, that's that's Zidane's fair game to him. I think that's the genuine reason why Bale's not playing minutes. Um, I think he'll play against Bayern. I know it's it's tough to predict lineups, but given the fact that we probably... And Natraf, <laughs> I just said Nacho and Natraf, uh, and I and I said Natraf. Given the fact that Nacho probably won't recover in time for Tuesday and Ashraf is raw for these games, I think we'll see Lucas Vazquez as right back, which frees us frees up a spot for Bale. And also Isco probably won't play in the Clasico or the second leg, which means that Bale has to slide in. I think it'd be crazy unless we see Kovacic. Um, that would be my only, uh, I guess, the only reason why we might not see Bale again. Um, so I think he'll play in the second leg. Uh I don't think it's a matter of trying to pushing him out by not playing. I think it's just a matter of Zidane really feels that, you know, he just feels that there is more value in other players at this moment in those certain games. And I genuinely feel like Zidane uh, just is trying to implement his own style and identity. And that will differ. Uh, it will dif- It will differ. It'll have cycles. We saw Kovacic not play at all in Zidane's first season. We saw... Isco in and out until he kind of cemented a place. We saw not much of Asensio in, in Zidane's first season. So things will change. Um, and that's just the reality of football and cycles and, and form and injuries and, and blah, blah, blah. I will say that I think 
it's not so much that Zidane lost faith in Bale because he's always injured and they gave up on his health record. I think it's more of a case that Bale was injured enough. And again, throughout this season, his track record wasn't great. And I'm by the way, there's a... Uh, I wrote a Bale article. It's going up for 442 on Monday, I believe, about all of this. And you can feel free to check in. Check it. It'll probably be posted on my Twitter on 442.com main page. And um, uh, I think him being injured basically bought time for certain players like Lucas Vasquez to win some faith with Zidane in these big games. Adrian Rios has two questions. Uh, Adrian says, even if we get past Bayern, how good are our chances against Liverpool considering our form versus theirs? If we manage to somehow win the Champions League, should this season be considered a success? Wouldn't it be scary if Madrid painted as a success and sleep through key transfers like getting a new goalkeeper, a new striker, and possibly a backup right back? I want to cross that bridge about transfers when we get there, Adrian, after the season, if that's okay. The question about if we get past Bayern, how good are our chances against Liverpool? Liverpool do um, do worry me a bit. Again, broken record. I'm going to say this again. I had them very high on the list of teams I wanted to avoid for the quarterfinal draw. And thankfully, we avoided them. And I don't know if it's a matter of them being the best team of the lot. It's not about that. I think it's a matchup thing where we tended to do better against teams that opened up a little bit. Um, I, I felt that way about Bayern. Obviously, uh, we actually struggled quite a bit against Bayern in the first leg. But I think Liverpool's press worries me. I think Salah, Firmino, and Mane are very intelligent off-ball players who can press really well. And we tend to do well with presses in big games, but sometimes we do switch off or we can't find an outlet, and that worries me. Um, I would also say that their counterattacks are lethal for obvious reasons. We've seen them enough to know this. Um, Klopp is better in big games than he is in small games. He generally gets a lot of things right. Salah plays uh, a bit of a free role without the ball. So when they defend in a low block or, or middle to low block, Salah's typically one guy who's not behind the ball. And because he acts as a really dangerous outlet in transition, and given our transition defense this year, it's not been that good. Again, I have faith in Zidane in in getting it right in big games because that's just something that Zidane does. But um, it it won't be easy, and I think we we know that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. Again, I I don't. It's it's premature previewing that final because we know that Real Madrid have, and as Zidane said it after the Leganes game. Zidane said himself that we saw what happened against Juve in the second leg and and against Bayern in the second leg last season. So we were not going to get ahead of ourselves. And this is still not a huge lead, by the way. Um, it's a one-goal loss. We'll, unless it's 1-0, we'll, we'll get us in a lot of trouble. So last question is from Johan Watson. He says, why does Asensio have a trash can for a heart? This question came in after the game against Bayern, after we finished recording. Uh, I, for one, Johan... I'm very thankful that Asensio does have a trash can for a heart because if he didn't in that moment, if he wasn't a complete, uh, as Omarvin would say, murderer, then we may not have gotten away with a win in, in Munich. And this is where I'll leave you guys. Um, thank you guys for putting up with A, the audio in part one of the podcast, and B, the, the monologue nature of part B. 
part two of the podcast where I was on my own, uh, just trying to pull things together. Before we leave, I do want to do patron shoutouts. Again, if you guys aren't patrons already, today or tomorrow is really the, the best time to pledge because you'll get in for a dollar. Whereas if you pledge May 1st or after, it'll be $3 per month uh, minimum to get into the patron-only shows and get some other rewards, etc. Shout out to our $10 patrons who get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Nick DeStefane, Leon Stavronakis, uh, Frederick Sundros, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthy, Jahan Watson, Selvin Adolfo Chamale Perez, Anas Al. Alazawi, I'm just flipping through like different nationalities, different languages, and different accents right now. Raul Gutierrez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obeid, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jeremiah Rogers, Rachapudi, Meher Varun, Daniel Smith. Thank you so much, guys. You are the real MVPs. You are all amazing human beings. Um, and it warms our heart that you actually support us and, and, and are buying into this project we're doing. So thank you guys so much. This is Kian Sobani signing off and Hala Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sports Social Podcast Network.